All right, so this summer we have a sermon series, and it's titled Tweets from Scripture, and so each week we look at very, very short passages from the Bible, um, 140 characters or less, and today's sermon is titled Hashtag Follow Me. Now, most of us here are Christians, which means that we have committed ourselves uh, to following after Christ, but are we really following after Him? Are we in the power of the Holy Spirit, using our freedom in Christ to live for Christ, to allow him to reign over our lives, to allow him to transform us, to allow him to take us to greater and greater levels of service for him and for his kingdom? Or do we say we're following him, but in practice, are we really asking Jesus to follow us, to come where we are, to join us in our plan? It's a question all who follow Christ must ask. In verse 1 of our passage, Jesus is in the very early days of his earthly ministry. It's John chapter 1. And Jesus, just prior to this little tweet from Scripture, is Jesus has called his first three disciples. And today, he leaves with them to go and to, uh, to, to walk 80 miles away to find one man so he can say to him, follow me. Our passage is John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, first off, we thank you that you are a missional God. You are a God who goes out and finds us so that we may be brought into relationship with you. It's confounding, but it's true. Help us this morning to know more fully um, who it is that we follow, uh, our Lord and Savior, and what it means to follow Christ. We pray for your spiritual power to discern and understand, but even more than that, uh, to transform our hearts, that we would be willing. We pray in the name of our Savior. Amen. Imagine you are looking for a spouse and you haven't had much luck, but then someone comes up to you and says, you could be married today by five o'clock. I found the perfect person. Here's a resume. Sorry, no pictures. <laughs> Look it over. You got five minutes to make your decision. And, and if you say yes, well, you'll be married by five o'clock. But if you say no, this will be your only chance at marriage. How would you like such a proposition? None of us do, right? We, we don't like prearranged relationships, not just marriage relationships. We desire to get to know the person. We want to know their character, their strengths and weaknesses. We, will, we want to know what life will be like with them in our lives. True? My friends, Jesus invites us to get to know him. In our tweet from Scripture, Jesus finds a man, Philip, and he calls to him. He says, follow me. You know, when, those, when Philip and those first disciples heard Jesus say, follow me, they had little to go on, <laughs> but go they did. I think it's fortunate that Jesus didn't tell them all that lied ahead, right? <laughs> kind of like the army recruiter, didn't tell me much about boot camp before I joined. The more you don't know, the better. I can't help but think that if Jesus told his disciples 
the struggles that lie ahead, I can't help but think that perhaps they would say, no, thank you. So when Jesus calls us, he doesn't list out all that's ahead for us. He simply begins by saying, follow me. Like those first disciples, all that you really need to begin following Christ is the ability to see in, in him something that moves you to follow. You know, far too many people reject Christ's offer to follow him because they think that you have to have him all figured out. They think that you have to, to know him uh, before you can begin to follow him. But actually the opposite's true, isn't it? You can't begin to know Christ nor begin to fully understand what he offers until you first move towards him in expectation. It's only after you start following Christ that you begin to get a clearer picture of who he is and to what he has called you towards. There could be no higher calling, my friends, than to follow Christ, though his call is challenging. We're going to investigate that this morning, and we're going to see there's a threefold call of Christ upon his followers. When Christ calls you to follow him, he calls you to live in him, to die in him, and to rise with him. First, Jesus calls you, when he calls you to follow him, he calls you to live in him. You know, we have all kinds of wonderful statements from the lips of Jesus that, that, that show us that he is the one who can provide the life that humanity longs for. You remember the woman at the well, right? The, the Samaritan woman. She had been trying for years to satisfy her soul in the arms of many different men. And Jesus comes alongside of her and he says these words, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus claims that he is able to satisfy our greatest spiritual thirst. In the future, certainly, in all eternity, but also in the present, here and now. Talk about experiencing life in a new and fresh way. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does Jesus mean by abundant life? Is he talking about wealth or status or prestige? We would like to think he is. It's the context that helps us understand. Jesus, right after those words, says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, Hired hands, they don't take good care of the sheep. But I care for my sheep. I know their needs. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus sees himself as the good shepherd who daily cares for the well-being of his sheep. That is how, in the present, you and I are to experience abundant life. As we draw near and follow our good shepherd who knows us and cares for us and, and feeds us and shelters us. It's as we walk with Christ and follow him and experience his good shepherdly care that we experience abundant life in him. Does that make sense? You 
You know, the longer you walk as a devoted follower of Christ, the more you come to experience his daily care in your life. It's true, isn't it? When you first decide to follow Christ, you know that he will in some way impart his life to you, but you just don't understand the degree to which he will do that for you. It's only after following Christ for a while that you begin to see just how abundant life in him truly is. If you're a Christian here, I want you to think back to those early days. How alive you were. But also, in some sense, it's kind of how clueless you were to the life-giving reality of Jesus in your life. I want you to rejoice over how the Good Shepherd has cared for you all these years, for how his living water has continually quenched your spiritual thirst. Jesus promises to lead you into a deeper experience of life in him. How can this be? How can it be that Jesus can offer you continual growth in your life with him? I think it's because you can never fully mine the life of Christ. You can never get to the bottom of the life that he has for you. Now, sometimes when my family is sleeping, uh, I usually the one who stays up late. Sometimes, and not all the time, maybe you do this too, probably not. I sneak downstairs to the refrigerator and I open up the freezer. It was spoon in hand and I look for that ice cream container, right? It's just me, right? And the problem is, as I'm opening the container in the dim light from the freezer, I realize my kids, like typical, have beat me to the punch. <laughs> and for some reason, why is it that kids, they don't want to like finish it off. They always want to leave like two little spoonfuls for you, right? Isn't that how it is, parents, right? My friends, following Jesus isn't like eating ice cream. For when you think you're getting to the bottom of the container, you never will. Jesus will always lead you into a deeper experience of new life in him because you cannot exhaust the life that he has given to you. Do you believe that? That's what he offers you. You know, I think most Christians enjoy thinking about this first point, that God gives us life through his son and that there's an eternal life to come, yes, but there's also an abundant life here and now in the present. See, when Jesus bids you to follow him, he, he bids you to come and live in him. But he also calls you to come and die in him. I think one of the reasons why Christianity is in such difficulty in our modern, wealthy, Western world is due to the fact that most of us, myself included, are holding out hope that we can still hold on to our sinful, self-absorbed lives and follow Jesus at the same time. That we can hold on to our worldly hopes and dreams and, and, and follow Jesus at the same time. There's a reason why Jesus had to teach his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why is that? Because our tendency is to, even after turning to faith in Christ, is to continue to live for our own kingdoms. To continue to mark out our own plans. And then we ask Jesus to come and to stamp them approved. We say, thank you. The disciples were slow to learn just like us. 
You know, three times in Mark's gospel, Jesus told his disciples, okay, guys, uh, I'm going to Jerusalem, and these religious leaders, um, they're going to hate me. They're going to turn me over. Um, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'll rise again. But even after telling them clearly multiple times, the disciples still had in their minds their own idea of how they were going to use Jesus for their own goodness. Uh, one of, remember the two brothers were like fighting over it? They're like, uh, I don't really care which one of us, but can one of us sit on the right and one of your left when, we come in, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus? We, we want to use you for our own glory. We, wanna, we want ease and comfort. We want people waiting on us. My friends, this mindset is common to all who follow Christ. Jesus says to us all, if you follow me in life, you must also follow me in my death. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily, we must remind ourselves that Christ is not following us. We are following him. What does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Well, it doesn't mean that you can atone for your own sins like Jesus did on the cross for you. But rather, you and I are to see our new life in Christ as one of continually dying to our old self. Dying to those tiny selfish dreams, dying each day to our longing for a life of ease and pleasure, dying to our old ways of living for personal glory, dying to our old self-focused lives. In our final hymn, we're going to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The, The chorus begins with these words, Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Some of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's what the conclusion he's come to about the call of the Christian life. He writes, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is a call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And then he says these famous words. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. How do you respond to that? (laughs) London businessman Lindsay Clegg uh, told a story of a warehouse that that he was selling. And the building had been empty for months and vandals had come in and they damaged the doors. They had strewn trash all around the place. They had broken out a window. And the buyer shows up. And as he's taking the buyer around, he, he tells the buyer, he says, don't worry. I'm going to send some men in here. They're going to clean up the trash. They're going to fix the broken windows, repair any structural damages to the building. The buyer said, forget the repairs. When I buy this place, 
I'm going, to begin, I'm going to build something completely new. I don't want the building. I want the site. My friends, when Christ bids you to follow him, he doesn't want that old life that you've built for yourself. He wants you stripped bare and dead to your old self. Then you follow him. Now, this sounds kind of hard, right? I mean, this sounds like really challenging. This sounds like, how do you even begin to to do such a thing, right? Well, Christian, here's perhaps the best news of the day for you. You guys ready? The old self, that old Jew, before he came to Christ, the old self is already dead in Christ. The work is already done for you. Now your life in Christ is just to appropriate what Christ, what has already taken place for you in Christ. Remember Paul's words, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you've been around Grace Church for a little while, no doubt you've heard me speak on this topic, but perhaps some of you haven't. So there's a theological term um, called union with Christ. And when, just like last week when we saw how there's these uh, indicatives and imperatives and, you know, what is true and what to do in the Bible, and that kind of changes the whole way in which you read your Bible. Um, What we also need to see is when we're we're reading scripture, especially in the New Testament, we need to look for words that clue us in that, that a Christian, a believer, is united with Christ. What do I mean that? By that union with Christ is a mystical work in which God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, unites the Christian with Christ. That is, God, through a powerful work of the Holy Spirit, has, has hidden your life in Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. I think perhaps the best way to, to illustrate that is to, is to demonstrate with, with this. This is a bookmark, right? And this is, this is a book. Say I were to place this bookmark in the book, the bookmark would be united with the book. Wherever the book goes, you know, uh, the bookmark is there with the book. And so even if I were to light this book on fire, what would happen to the bookmark? Well, because it's united in this book, whatever takes place to the book takes place to the bookmark as well. In a mystical but no less true way, God has placed your life in Christ. The perfect life that Christ lived, God has placed you like a bookmark in it. That suffering and sacrificial death that Christ endured, God in a mystical way, like a bookmark, placed you in that death of Christ. It's as if you were there with him. And this resurrection of Christ, guess what? You too have been united with Christ in a resurrection like his. Jesus spoke of this union with him. When, remember when he said in, in uh, John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Um, we're connected. Um, he's, he said that if you abide in me, he will ab- um, you know, if you abide in him, and he will abide in you. Remember he, Jesus said, I in you and you in me. Jesus spoke of this union with him. The Apostle Paul speaks of in Galatians 2.20. Listen to what he says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Later in Colossians 3.3. 3, For you have died, 
Listen to this. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. And then if you need more evidence, in Romans 6, 4, we read that we have been buried together with Christ. So what does it mean, uh, this union of Christ? What does it mean for us as followers? Well, I think it changes how we see things. We need to come to see that we're already dead to that old person in Christ. If you're in Christ, God has placed that old you in Christ, and you have experienced a death on the cross with him. And so this helps us to understand when Jesus says that daily we must pick up our cross and follow after him. You know, I have some friends who went to Paris. They went to the Eiffel Tower. And when they came back, they brought back this like six-inch pewter replica of the Eiffel Tower to remind them that they were there. I think in a similar way, when Jesus says, you have a cross. Each one of you has a cross that you bear. It's not the one that actually provided the atonement, but it's your own cross. It's you and your sins that have been taken to the cross, that you have died in Christ. Jesus wants us to be reminded of the work that he does for his people. He lays down his life for his sheep. And therefore, we need, we don't, we already are dead. (laughs) That old person is gone. We just need the daily reminder of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The old the old man is gone. The new man has come. Therefore, let's, let's live like that. It's hard to wrap your head around. But when Jesus called you to himself, he called you to die in him. And you know what? This is a good thing. Because you see, it's only when we die in him that we are able also to rise in him. You know, most every Christian knows that Jesus rose from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, we too have a day coming, a day that Jesus promised, when all who belong to him will rise from the grave, and God will usher in a new age, heaven comes to earth, and there'll be no more sin or sorrow or shame. If you're in Christ, that day is coming. But we also must realize that because we're united with Christ, because he invites us to follow him uh, in in a resurrection like his, we can and should live in some ways with resurrected power here and now. Can you imagine what it must have been like for those disciples when they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? You know, I know they had seen miracles, lots of them by this time, and they'd seen people raised from the dead. But, you know, Lazarus had been dead for a while. I mean, he was starting to stink a little. Jesus purposely showed up a little bit late so God's glory could be displayed. Nobody really understood it at the time. Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, said this to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
Do you believe this? Do you believe that just as Lazarus rose from the dead and just as Jesus rose from the dead, there will be a day, that last day, when you, if you are in Christ, will rise from the dead to experience eternal life and joy and happiness and peace forever and ever? Do you you believe that? That's the Christian hope. But it's not just for a day to come. That resurrected living is the, the resurrection to come is meant to have an impact on how we live today. Does that make sense? We're, we're to live with, in a sense, uh, the resurrected power that is to come. How do we know this? Well, Jesus prepared his followers for, for what life would be like post-resurrection. He said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying when you follow him, when you come to him, when you experience that death in him, you also come to experience um, a resurrection in him. And that you will begin to do the works of your resurrected Savior. Jesus is alive in heaven right now, watching over this world and observing how his followers um, live out our resurrected lives. Jesus knows that we will do even greater things than him. You're supposed to smile. We're going to do even greater things than him. If you believe in Christ, you will also do the works of Christ. You will sacrifice comfort, so that others can experience Christ's peace. You will walk in righteousness, so you can bring glory and honor to your heavenly Father. You will care for the sick and and the elderly and widows and orphans. You will tell others of Christ and their, their need for him. Now, think about this. In that first week, when Jesus' disciples started following him, Could they have done that? No, they weren't ready. Jesus still had a lot to teach them. They needed time walking with Jesus to see how he loved others, to see how he sacrificed even sleep in order to minister to the needs of the thousands around him. They needed to see how he often withdrew to lonely places to to pray. It took time for his disciples to mature. But eventually, they would be ready for that day when he returned to heaven. Ready for the day when Jesus no longer walked on earth in one body, but rather where Jesus would be present by his spirit in many bodies, the church. Jesus longed for the day when he would return to his father, yes, because he's returning to glory, but he's also longing for it because he knows that unless he dies, unless a grain is sown in the ground, it will not reap a harvest. He knows that, that, that there will be a day coming when the, his very own spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to be in all of God's people. <laughs> Talk about a powerful effect upon the earth. After his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples to do what? To remain in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Then and only then were they to move out into the world. 
Today, Jesus' risen life is spread throughout the church in the lives of hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then hear this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. My friends, because of our union with Christ, Christ dwells in us. And because Christ dwells in us, everywhere we go, Christ goes. Have you ever thought of that? Christ dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives us resurrected power here and now. Christian, you have divine power, resurrection power in you. Power that is unleashed when you and I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When you are alive in Christ, God works through us. My friends, the the good shepherd isn't done leading his sheep. Because you're united to him in his life and death and resurrection... His resurrected life is being worked out in you. Now tell me, is this not encouraging? Does this not open up a whole new way of looking at our Lord and following after him? My friends, the world that we're living in is desperately in need of Christ. Only Christ can cure what ails this world. And we know him. Better than that, he dwells in us. And he's called us to move out. It's interesting, those early disciples, did you notice like each one of them, when they heard Christ call to follow him, what'd they do? They went and found someone, right? (laughs) Maybe it's because, you know, I don't know, I want someone else to, uh, want someone else to be by my side in case I need to bail, right? No, but um, they brought him there for good motives. I think this is the Messiah, come and see, right? How much more should we tell others? It's like the most natural thing we can do. When we uh, go see a good movie, what do we do? We tell our friends. When we have a good meal, what do we do? We tell a co-worker. How much more, then, should we be telling others to come and follow Christ? Just come and see. Today we looked at Christ's call to follow him. We've seen that when Christ calls a person to follow him, it's a threefold call. It's a call to live, a call to die, and a call to rise. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you are on a scale of 1 to 10. Maybe you're like 15. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But I think if I had to guess, just knowing my own heart, I could just speak for myself. I personally do not live as the person I know I should be. I know I have so much further to grow as a follower of Christ. Daily I have the old mark trying to nip at my heels and seek after my own glory, my own plans. And I foolishly think that the wise thing to do is to say, hey, Jesus, come along with me and stamp my plans good. Christ wants us to see that that our best life is really lived when we die to the old self and come alive in him. But it's hard. Thankfully, there's hope. What's our hope? Why does Mark have hope up here? Well, I have hope because I know Philip. We see Philip in this passage in 
you know, we see all the other disciples and we tend to think that the disciples were these great, big, powerful, wonderful men, you know? The truth is, they're not all that spectacular. I mean, how many of them can, names can you remember? There was 12, right? Um, yeah, perhaps Peter. Most likely, Peter was a great man before Jesus called him. Probably John as well. But the others weren't all that spectacular. One would betray him. And you know, Peter was even less than remarkable. Sunday school teachers might tell their, their students to go and, and um, mimic Peter or, or be like John, but I don't think anyone would ever say, why don't you go be like Philip? Yeah, Philip, he went and got Nathaniel. But as soon as Nathaniel had the slightest of objection, Philip's like, uh, I don't know, well, why don't you just come with me, right? You know? We run into, we run into um, Philip three more times in our Bible. And every time we see him, he seems out of his league. Like he's at a depth that's too big, too deep. He's no super disciple. When it came time for Jesus to feed the 5,000, Philip could not see past the challenge. <laughs> Let's see, I don't know, we got this much money, there's a lot of food. The stores aren't even open today, uh, Jesus. Um, you know? And then there's a time later when some Greeks came up to Philip, probably because his name is Greek, you know, maybe. Um, Philip means lover of horses. All right. Um, A little trivia for you. Some Greeks came up and said, hey, uh, we want to see Jesus. Can you take us to him? And Philip's like, maybe I should. I mean, you know, he likes, you know, Gentiles, but maybe I shouldn't. And he's like, what does he do? He punts. He like, he goes, Andrew, uh, you take care of this. I don't know what to do, Right. Andrew, can you take him to see Jesus, right? And then later, in the upper room, where Jesus is saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they're like saying, well, we want to see the Father. And, and then Jesus tells the disciples, um, if you've known me, then you've known my Father. Which should have been enough. They've walked with him for three years now. These are comforting words. But then Philip presses upon the Lord and he blurts out, Lord, show us the Father. That's all we want. Up to the very last hour, the good shepherd shows his patience. Philip only gets a gentle rebuke from the Lord. Jesus says, Have I been with you so long that you still don't know me? Philip? How does this give us comfort? Because Jesus could say those very words to me today. Have you known me so long that you... Have you followed me so long that you still don't know me? Mark? My friends, this call to follow Christ, it is challenging. It's a call to, yes, find our life in him, but to also die in him and to live a resurrected life in him. It's hard. But guess what? The good shepherd, he knows his followers. He knows we're weak. He knows we're prone to go back to living those old ways. He knows this about us, but he will not depart us. He will continue to shepherd us in his grace. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you um, that you call to us. <laughs> and even our response is a work of your spirit. We thank you that in Christ there is life. We thank you for this calling that you've placed upon us. May we all take it serious. Uh, may we not see it as a work for us to do, though, but rather as a work that's been done for us. And really, it's just a new life to be lived in by the Holy Spirit. Encourage us now, even as we share this meal and as we sing of your goodness and grace, we pray. Amen.